Welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Hi, I'm Ziv Babiv. And I'm Shachar Erez. And together, we're here to show you into this realm of what it means to have a generous marriage. We are students as much as teachers here looking for opportunities to learn and define how to make your relationship better and a more generous one. And specifically today, we're going to focus on sex. And sex is something that we managed to find quite an expert on, and that is Irene Fair, the sex and intimacy coach. And she has this idea about how there are three kinds of sex, and two of them actually diminish eventually, which is a good thing. You'll hear all about that in the interview. But before we go there, I want to ask you, Shachar, is it true that sex is something that men and women want in a different level? Like, basically, the myth is that men want sex and need sex more than women. Uh, very partial truth. I think it depends on the age of the men and women. In my clinic, I see 40-year-old couples, and usually, actually, the women want more sex than the men. So it depends on a lot of things, and the need for sex is important for any relationship. So let's hear what Irene Fair has to say about sex, and see you at the other end. Enjoy. Welcome. To the Generous Marriage Podcast. Fight less, feel appreciated, and have a deeper connection with your spouse. And now your hosts, Shachar Erez and Ziv Raviv. Hello, Generous Marriage Podcast. What's up? I'm Ziv Raviv. And I'm Shachar Erez. Great to be here with you. And today we have a very special guest. It's Irene Fair. Irene, please let me introduce you because this is really something that is so aligned with what we talk about and with, with what we're trying to do. So Irene Fair from Colorado, US, is a sex and intimacy coach. And you work with committed couples to create a sex life that is as big as their love for each other and that grows and evolves as their intimacy deepens. This is just poetry for me. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Irene. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Our pleasure. Irene, before we start, I want to ask, first of all, what is the connection between a couple's sex lives and their intimacy and the couple's love? How do you see the relationship? I love this question. And in a long-term relationship, people get together because obviously they love each other. And they want to be with each other and they want to deepen that love. And traditionally, we see sex as just being this activity that people do and not an expression of love. But when you want to be with someone, when you want to share your life and your body and your expression with each other, couples want to have that together. And they want that to be two sides of the same coin. Yet again, our culture and our society doesn't see it that way. And that's where couples get in trouble thinking that they're doing something wrong or they're wanting more than they can have or are setting their bar too high. And they go into these shame cycles and feeling like they don't know what they want. And so I'm in a way bringing out something that's, that's been there for all of us, this desire to have a romantic partner and share our love with that physical love, intimacy love, that presence, that connection with each other, and created in such a way that it lasts for decades, that it grows and that it expands. Is that possible? You know, 
there's a myth that committed relationships, after a while, sex kind of dies. What do you yes. think about that? Well, there's a lot of truth to that because it does. And I actually talk about the fact that it should. There's a point in a relationship, in a long-term relationship, where sex, as we have learned it, and as we have, as society teaches up to us, should die. It's a good thing that it dies. And I talk about actually three types of sex, and the two of them die naturally in a long-term relationship. And there's a third one that you get to cultivate and create. And that's the one that lasts for the lifetime, you know, for our lifetimes, for decades of our relationship. They're very different. And we have to come into them from very different perspectives. That is very interesting just to identify the different types of sex in, I think, in an emotional sense or, or maybe in a functional sense for the relationship. Can you give us more information about that? Like, what are those types? Yes, I'd love to. The three types, I'm going to start with the first two, the ones that naturally, like I said, die out in a long-term relationship. So the first type of sex is what I call friction sex. This is something that we have usually in the beginning of a relationship. It's also something that's typically seen in a one-night stand or in some kind of a one-off sexual situation. This is driven by those exciting hormones of sexual attraction and newness and wanting to play. And I call this friction sex because a lot of it is about friction, about two bodies next to each other, creating pleasure, creating orgasm, penetration, and it feels really good. And there's nothing wrong with this type of sex. It can be incredibly erotic and playful and fulfilling. What differentiates this type of sex from others is that because it's so focused on fun and it could also be focused on eroticism, it doesn't have much space or room for emotional connection. It's not the focus of this type of sex. So in a long-term relationship, if you're focusing on the physicality of things, if you're focusing on the pleasure and the orgasm and there's no space for intimacy or vulnerability or emotions, you run out of the many positions that you can take or you run out of things that you can do physically and you hit a wall. And in a way, vulnerability and emotions, all that stuff kills the mood in friction sex because you just want to like get to the goal. You want to get to the orgasm or the pleasure. So again, this has a natural end of life in a long-term relationship because it just doesn't have anywhere to go. And here couples try to buy more toys or do more fun things, but there's just so many toys. There's so many ways you can bend your body into a pretzel and <laughs> positions, but inevitably you hit a wall. The second type of sex I call validation sex. And this is sex that starts to develop as you start to develop feelings for each other in a relationship. You start to feel love towards your partner. You start to care for them and you start to want to take care of them and each other's feelings. And this can be incredibly beautiful, passionate, loving sex. It could be incredibly fun as well. There's a lot of beauty and passion in it. And the flip side of developing feelings for each other and deepening your relationship is also a fear of then losing your partner. Wow, we have this and it's amazing. And what if it ends? 
what if we disturb the peace? What if I ask for something and I hurt my partner's feelings? So in validation sex, couples start tiptoeing around each other. Well, I can't ask for that. I don't want my partner to be turned off or to be to feel like they can't do this. Or I can't really fully express myself because what if I push them away? What if they, I put my freak on and they're overwhelmed and they get scared? So couples start to pull back. They start to take care of each other's needs more than caring about the authentic expression of their own sexuality and desires and vulnerability. So in validation sex, there's also no space for true vulnerability because vulnerability sometimes does hurt our partner's feelings and sometimes does create rejection, but it also creates the passion. So in validation sex, the passion starts to die and Mm. partners will likely become roommates in the situation or they start fighting and start pressuring each other because they're looking, each of us are looking for validation from each other in this situation, validation of, oh, you love me, you want me, I am desirable to you, you need me. And so in both types of sex, couples hit this wall where mm-hmm. sex starts to die. Yeah. And we have this notion that that's a bad thing. And I see it completely differently. I think of this as it's a great thing. You've run out of doing sex in a way that, in a way happens to you by hormones of the sexual attraction or hormones of love and limerence. Mm-hmm. And this is a moment to step back and to realize that, okay, we've gotten this far, but now we actually get to create sex that works for us. That's going to be uniquely ours. That's going to be about attuning to ourselves and what's good for us and attuning to our partners. And that embodies individual freedom and differentiation in connection with another person while we're attuning to them and being kind and transparent with them, not just taking care of their feelings. Mm -hmm. So it creates that paradoxical, but really passionate and beautiful space of being individuals with your own desires and, and passion, but also being deeply connected and attuned. And that's what I call connection sex. Connection. Beautiful. That's brilliant. And it makes a lot of sense. And you actually helped me organize some conflicting thoughts I've had about it. Because, for example, people like Esther Perel or other therapists in the field say there's a conflict between security or safety to passion. For example, John Gottman says that's not true. And actually, you have to deepen trust to be able to have more passion, my better sex life. And now you actually put it in the right place for me with these uh, stages. And I wonder if you can talk more about the third way about differentiation and what that means and vulnerability and what that means in this context. This is very much putting those two together. And I see it as requiring both. You need what I call, you need a space where it's safe to be risky you feel safe with your partner, that you've created trust, that you've created a place where you can be vulnerable and they can be vulnerable and you're not going to hit back or, or retaliate or withdraw and run away. And in that place, that's where you can actually truly be risky. 
That's where you can truly own your desire, your vulnerability, your hurt, places where your shadows, places where you want to pull away and disconnect or punish your partner, whatever your shadow is. In connection sex, there is space for both. The way I think about it in terms of differentiation is that for true eroticism, you need two individuals with their own set of desires and vulnerabilities and boundaries and Mm -hmm. the courage and the ability to verbalize them and to stand in their truth. That's where you have two individuals. And that's where that erotic tension and passion comes from. I cannot take care of you in a way to create the kind of outcome I want. You're an individual that has your own no's and yeses and erotic dreams and, and desires. And so am I. And so that creates that kind of unpredictability that fuels that erotic passion. And that changes over time too. Mm-hmm. You feel different who mm-hmm. I am yesterday or who I was yesterday is different than who I am today. And my desires and how I can be in sex is going to be incredibly different. So it leaves a lot of space and a lot of approval and appreciation of that differentiation. We are different. And let's get curious about who is here right now in terms of me and who's my partner? Who is this person in front of me and what's going on for them? And that creates a lot of riskiness too. You don't know. There's a lot of potential for rejection and for judgment and all of that. We're reconciling this riskiness, this mystery, this, this place of being two separate individuals. But we also need to create a framework where that's safe so that I can tell my partner what's really going on for them. And again, I'm not going to be retaliated or I'm not going to be abandoned for that. We need to create both and that's what connection sex does i love how you describe this the way that you need two people to be vulnerable with one another to have their own needs and at the same time what you describe is a partnership it's sex as a part of a joint goal of the partnership to celebrate the partnership and to respect the individuals within the partnerships so i really think it's Quite a celebration. I see how it's connected also to the actual connection of love between the two because it puts people in front of each other with vulnerability. Like Shachar, you talk a lot about how vulnerability is an amazing antidote for shame and for other situations that are hard in relationships, in marriage. And just imagine if you only have the friction and the validation sex and that dies off eventually because you have kids and you have your job or your career or your lack of sleep because the baby waking up even when he was, I don't know, a year old. So everything happens and the friction and validation sex eventually dies. And then this also means that the vulnerability is not a major function in the partnership. What type of people have the self-awareness of the importance of sex so that they know that it's worthwhile for them to ask for help? Is it something that you see people at certain phases of their life or is it something that is usually after there's a big problem? What is your experience? 
I'm seeing a little bit of both. When I started my practice, I was thinking, well, this is going to be couples who have been together for extended periods of time, you know, 10 years, 20 years, where they experience this and they have hit a problem. And that's been very much the bulk of my practice. But I also see these days a lot of young couples coming to me a couple of months before their wedding, where they're already starting to see that tension happening in their sex life. And they can see that if they don't take care of this now, that their relationship is going to suffer. And they're coming into this, not from this big problem that they need to fix. They're coming into this from this desire to have a different kind of relationship, a relationship that they set up together ahead of basically their marriage. And to speak to your point, Ziv, about partnership, this is exactly what this kind of sex is about. It's about designing it and creating it consciously. Let's talk about how we talk about sex. Let's have some meta conversations about how we want to share our emotions and our vulnerability and our desires. Let's design it in a way that works for us as opposed to just defaulting it or ending up stuck later on. So it's done consciously and intentionally and more and more people are realizing that because more and more people are generally feeling empowered that they can be creators of their own life. I think that's the millennials to thank for that. I think it's a whole generation is emerging with this empowerment that, hey, we have the power to create our lives and we're responsible for them too. And that certainly is spilling over into their sex lives which is just a, warms my heart to know that this is happening organically this way. Yeah, I agree. For me, it doesn't happen a lot in Israel, but it used to happen more in Israel, these young couples before wedding. And it's, I feel so, so honored to work with them. It's usually so much easier as well because it's like they don't have habituated the deep patterns that are harder to change after 15 years. So much fun to work with them. Yeah, thank God for the millennials. <laughs> so people decide to work on their sex life on all sorts of milestones in their lives. And sometimes when there's a problem, sometimes where there is just some concerns. How often do you find it important to work on the actual relationship dynamic in order to improve the sex life? Because I can imagine some hardship in creating partnership when you are at a place where you're looking at your partner as your adversary, which is something that can happen to you. So what is your point of view on that? My point of view is that we all know how to have sex. We're born with that. We know what goes where and how to activate it to, to a large extent. This isn't something that we necessarily have to learn that we have some innate understanding and intuition about how to do it. And on top of that, we have so much conditioning around our relationship to our bodies and pleasure and intimacy and our attachment patterns that we grow up with and that then teach us how to relate to another person. Do we push and try to get someone to give us something? Or do we run away and avoid something? Or do we actually stay there? 
and face our partners and get through challenging times. So that's the pieces that I work on first before we get to sex. And the magic thing is that in my process, what we touch upon the attachment piece first, because if you're already in a relationship, you have to create that safe space. You cannot see your partner as the enemy. You're not going to go anywhere. It's actually going to be incredibly triggering to start talking about sex if the partner that you're with, that you see as, as the enemy. So I actually, in my practice with couples, I require that they take sex off the table for the first month. So no penetration, no orgasm. Everything else is allowed, but sex itself is off the table so that we can start to unravel some of these patterns and cycles that get them stuck in this, you're my enemy pattern. Then we work on removing some of these conditionings and influences and shaping, reshaping the relationship to our bodies and to eroticism, to passion, to desire. And magically, at the end of all of that, people know how to have sex. Or they become more open and curious and just like go watch something and then they, they discover how to do something else. But it's empowering them with the tools and the capacity, right? broadening their capacity to be with the uncomfortable places around sex and intimacy where you want to run away, or you want to attack or you want to freeze. And as they develop that capacity, then they can do anything. And they do. And very little of my work focuses on the actual sex piece. So much of it is the intimacy piece and setting them up with these tools and capacities. I have to ask a question here. This is really interesting. So in order to talk about intimacy or to talk about sex, even in a relationship where partnership is maintained and established and nurtured, but it's still a topic that many people are having a hard time to start a conversation. It's not something that, especially when you have kids and you definitely don't want to start the conversation in front of them. But what type of tips can you give for people? How important is it that they can talk about it freely? What can you tell people that are listening right now and they just, they want more connection sex. They want to nurture their partnership through sex as well, but they just have a hard time starting the conversation about it. I love this question and I'm going to expand it a little bit also to kids since you mentioned it. Our comfort with talking about sex actually starts with, starts at the time when we're children and our relationships are desire. In most cultures, we're taught that adults know what's best for us and Someone else knows what's best for us. Experts know what's best for us. And so none of us really grow up with a muscle of tuning into what is it that we want. And talking about sex really has to start with our relationship to our desire. And it doesn't have to even include talking about sex. This is something that we could talk about in front of our children and include our children in building this muscle of tuning into what is that we want and how do you know what you want and where is that wanting happening in your body? What part of your body wants? Is it your heart? Is it your mind? Is it some other part? Is it your big toe that's like craving something? 
So it doesn't have to be serious and it doesn't have to be rated R in terms of like, we can't talk about this in front of our children. It's about normalizing our relationship to desire. And again, that starts with our childhood. And for couples who are not used to talking about their desires with each other, start talking about what is it that you want, just generally, and see what that's like to say like, wow, I really love chocolate and feel it and share with your partner. You know, I really like chocolate the way it melts in my mouth and the way it has that sweetness and a little bit of that bitterness. And wow, all of a sudden you're actually having an erotic conversation without mentioning anything sexual. So it's, it's our relationship to desire. That's the starting point and it's ultimately the, the end as well. I have another tip question. So a couple is listening to our conversation right now and they realize they're in the second stage and they're too polite with each other and they don't really express their needs and they're not so vulnerable. What can they do? Do they have to go to therapy? Do they have to go to sex coaching or is there anything they could do on their own? Yes, absolutely. And it's a combination and because it's harder to do this in some contexts than in others. But what happens in validation sex is that they're tiptoeing around each other, they're too nice. And underneath that is they're withholding. They're withholding something. They're withholding their desires or hurt feelings or what they need or a combination of all of them. And what a therapist would help them do is something that I can also practice on their own, which is naming what's being unsaid. Mm. Wow. I really wanted to reach over and touch you just now, but I held back. I'm really scared that you're going to push me away, but I really want to connect with you. So I'm just going to let you know that there's this impulse in me right now of, of wanting to come close and wanting to pull away. While having sex or when? After or what? Both. It's actually both. You, <laughs> ideally, you want to have some of these conversations beforehand so that you're not in this charged situation as you're in the act itself. But sometimes it's very powerful to do it in the act itself. That, that vulnerability, it lifts walls between us and then we start seeing each other. And sure, it may interrupt sex. You may get out of the flow that you're in, but ultimately it can create much deeper passion longer term. Yeah. It might break the flow in the moment, but might create a deeper kind of flow, yeah. a turn on from the differentiation, from daring to be vulnerable and sharing your own pleasure and your own turn on. Exactly. Beautiful. Thank you. It's how validation and friction sex end is that sex dies and it breaks that flow, but then you get to realize that, wow, we can create something so much more powerful, so much more sustainable and so much easier. Once you create this as a partnership, it's so much easier than trying to guess what needs to happen and figure things out and then deal with the consequences and the disappointments and the rejection. Yeah, I feel like you're pointing at a kind of sex that you are not so much focused on your partner's pleasure. You are sensitive to each other, but you also give a lot of space to your own pleasure, right? Am I getting it right? Yes. And what I've experienced too is that somatically, as in the body, that actually creates so much more spark and electricity. Mm -hmm. If I'm tuning into myself, if I'm in my own body, I'm very present. 
that is the definition of presence. It's being in tune with what's going on for you. And when you're present with yourself, so much more is available to your partner as opposed to putting walls up or kind of holding the person at a distance energetically or putting the attention on them and forgetting what's here that actually brings down sensation and ex- the experience in the body. And I find that presence is sexy. Presence is very attractive. You get pulled into, towards someone who's, who's present. Absolutely. And I also think of presence is attention. And that is really why we're in relationship with each other these days. We're not in need-based relationships where we need partners to survive financially or to eat. We don't necessarily have those dependencies. Mm-hmm. We're there because we want to be with them. And the way that we express that is through attention. We want to give that attention. We want to receive it. Mm-hmm. And that is incredibly sexy and nourishing and fun. I love it how when you encounter truth, it's simple. So like, it's so clear how you're just talking about wants and desires in order to be able to talk about sex and how obvious it is and yet so powerful. Sometimes you don't need the eight different lines that you should say. You just need to listen to what you want and just communicate that. And how sexy will that be? And I'll even say that it comes back to, or it comes down to courage, having the courage to show that vulnerability. You may not know how to say it. The words will come out maybe completely jumbled and irrational, but you have the courage to say like, hey, I have something I want to say, or I have something that's going on for you I want to show you or share with you. And it's that courage that makes the biggest difference. And then the words again, may or may not be coherent, but they matter less when courage comes first. Love it. I want you, Irene, to tell us a little bit about your own story of how you became a sex coach and a sex and intimacy coach. Do you mind sharing a little bit? Not at all. I'd love to. So my own experience with a sexless marriage led me to this work. I had a beautiful start to the relationship like everyone else. The classic story, we fell in love. We were really compatible. We had a lot of things in common. We couldn't keep our hands off each other. And the relationship evolved, started to grow. We moved in together. And we started to face challenges in our sex life. So validation sex was very much present. Me being scared to ask for what I wanted. What if he doesn't like it? What if he rejects me? All the what ifs in my mind. And what happened was my body responded to it. My body started to shut down. So lubrication started to be harder and harder. I went to the doctors and they said, well, just use lube, no problem. Well, lube didn't substitute for arousal. So sex started to also get painful. Then it got to the point where I could not have sex anymore. And then of course, I also withdrew from sex because that was such a physically painful experience, but also emotionally painful. I felt like I was broken. I felt like I wasn't, I wasn't sexual enough for my husband. He became my husband eventually in that relationship. 
that I wasn't sexual enough and all this shame flooded me and all this blame and feeling responsible. And I went to the doctors who basically shrugged their shoulders and said, well, there's nothing wrong with you. Sex is painful for a lot of women and that's normal. Or the other piece was I couldn't orgasm by myself or with my partner. So they're like, well, some women don't orgasm and that's normal. And it's normal to lose your libido in a long-term relationship. And at that time, these were the norms. And Mm -hmm. I felt so incredibly alone and so ashamed and broken about what was happening. And it was worse too that my ex and I, we couldn't talk about this. So I just carried this burden on my own and tried to process it and came up with a lot of conclusions that came out of what society teaches us about sex and relationships is that once you cross the threshold into commitment, that sex should happen if you love each other. But guess what? If it doesn't happen, or it's not that easy, the logical conclusion is that there's something wrong with me. And so I I took that on and I took those beliefs for many years after the marriage ended. And it ended because we couldn't really talk about this. We couldn't share our innermost experiences. I didn't even have role models who told me how to share something so vulnerable with my partner. I needed to be like turned on and happy all the time and vulnerability had no room in that. So our relationship collapsed because of that. Not so much because any of the sex issues were irreparable. They were minor, but it's the communication and the intimacy that was the big piece that we didn't know how to to touch upon. So it left me really scarred for many years and disconnected from myself and my body and sexuality. And I hit rock bottom in many ways. I love how Brene Brown says that you can have a nervous breakdown slash spiritual awakening. And that's what I had because I carried the the shame and this responsibility for such a long time that finally I got to the point realizing that, wait a second, this is all bullshit. (laughs) This is wrong. And I have always wanted a relationship. I've always dreamed of a romantic love relationship. And I was like, no, I want this. And I need to find a way. And I still, that time, functioned with, well, I got to go fix myself and fix my sexuality so I can have, continue to have validation sex the way I was having it before. But I realized that what I talked about in terms of friction sex and validation sex, that there's actually nothing wrong with me or my sexuality or us as a couple, that we were just functioning on these two levels that were meant to die And we just didn't have the tools or the capacity to deal with the discomfort. And so I started, as I learned about myself and as I started to enter relationships where I saw this happen, I started to formulate this difference. And I was, of course, taking classes and trainings here and there. And very quickly, I realized that, number one, that my story is the story of so many couples, not millions, but billions of couples in the world or billions of people. And the second piece that everyone who faces this gets stuck in these needless shame cycles and loss of connection and pain, emotional pain, psychological pain, that I want to change this. And I did a career change eight years ago. I left my corporate job doing marketing and dedicated my life to this. This was 
such a powerful experience for me. And I want to change the world one couple at a time and really change the world for also generations because the way kids grow up in families with happy parents, parents who are open, who are vulnerable with each other who are, and who are satisfied sexually, they also can bring peace and change to the world. Yes. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Such a powerful story. Thank you. And touch. thank you for being so vulnerable. You're such a model of what you talk about. I really want to emphasize, like uh, you're saying one couple at a time, but actually what you do, Irene, online with your website, the type of information that you share there freely has the power to help you guys if you're listening right now and you're a little bit concerned about your relationship or about how to overcome validation sex. Is it something that you want to overcome or to migrate yourself into a different type of sex or you're worried? All those things, you discuss about this and you explore them and you share so much that uh, I want to make sure that people have an opportunity to be exposed to more of what you teach, Irene. So if you don't mind, share us a little bit of where people can learn more about your approach with the three different types of sex and also how to overcome all sorts of hurdles related to communication around intimacy and around sex. My website is irenefair.com. So it's I-R-E-N-E-F-E-H-R, my first and last name. And yes, that's a great source for a lot of information. I have videos, one video that goes into more depth about these three types of sex. And I write articles and speak on a lot of podcasts like this one around this approach. So that is a wonderful place to start. And that's the way to get in touch with me as well. And when people are contacting you for a private session of consultation, that is not just done face-to-face, live, physically in Colorado. It's also done remotely through online, basically. Yes. So I work with clients worldwide. I have clients in Australia, in New Zealand, in Spain, and in the UK. So this technology, Zoom enables us to do that. And my process is that there is a form on the website that asks some questions that gets you started thinking about what it is that you want. Because what it is that you want in your relationship is also the, the starting point of our work together. It's the future vision that you get to create. And then we work backwards to determine what's in the way and what do we need to work on. And my process is that clients fill out the form to start the conversation. We have a quick call and then we do a two-hour in-depth roadmap coaching session where I coach couples in designing this dream, this vision that they want to have. And like I said, work backwards to determine what's in the way. So it's a very guided approach because it's not just figuring out everything and anything that needs to be addressed. It's like, no, let's get you the life that you want. Let's get you experiencing connection differently, experiencing touch differently out the door, not in a distant future, but today and tomorrow and each day that we're going to have a conversation. And I really encourage people to reach out and to have this roadmap session to start dreaming and painting this future vision of what is possible. Amen to that. If people are not sure about the website, arenefair.com, we will actually put the link 
on our website on generousmarriage.com as well. So this way you could find it either on Google or by going to generousmarriage.com, guys, and the link will be waiting for you. Irene, I really appreciate you taking the time to share with our audience some of your deep ideas. I think that's just taking this notion of understanding what you want and doing that as an exercise, even connecting to what you want, what you desire yourself is an important step in creating connection and connection sex eventually. That is something that is my personal takeaway. I thank you so much, Irene, and see you guys next week on the Generous Marriage Podcast. Yeah, thank you. Goodbye, everyone. Bye, Irene. Bye. Wow. Irene Fer really opened up her heart and her life, uh, sharing with us all the hurdles that he had to go through. You know, it's not easy to come here live in front of everyone and, and admit that you had an issue that is like a sexless relationship or, or all sorts of problems that are revealed here uh, in this podcast. And uh, Irene definitely raised the bar with her vulnerability. And thank you so much for, for that, Irene. Shachar, what did you take from this interview? Yeah, I'm really touched and uh, inspired by Irene. The way she shared her story and all the rest, she shared so much good stuff. One of the things I liked the most, how she helped me kind of understand there's a, there's a conflict between people who are big in the field, like Esther Perel to Dr. John Gottman, where Esther Perel says that there's a tension between safety and eroticism. And as we become closer together and trust each other more, and there's more safety in the relationship, in long-term relationship, eroticism actually goes down. And, but John Gottman's research shows the contrary, that you need more safety to have better sex life. And I find that Irene really helped me figure out how they are both right. And I love her quote, uh, you need a place where it's safe to be risky. Wow. Yeah, I love that. That's, you, that's you, really need, you need enough safety between you so you can actually dare to be vulnerable and try out different things and share your fantasies and desires and wants. And I want to emphasize, like uh, Irene mentioned, how sometimes we, in this area, we don't need a partner anymore. Like we have security uh, of the tribe or of the partner just by, you know, if you're born in the right state, that sometimes is enough. And yet there's so many things that we can get. So maybe we don't need a partner, but we definitely want one. And that is what we are here for to help you. So we prepared a bonus for you. Uh, that is waiting for you in generousmarriage.com. Actually, there's a button for downloading it, and it's free. Uh, this bonus, specifically this time, is actually something that Irene have made especially for you. And it's something that is related to a, a specific part of sex that is not discussed often enough. And that is, you know what? I, won't, I, I hinted enough uh, as it is. I think that you know what I'm talking about. You know, that thing that sometimes some people have a problem with and some people don't. And even if you don't have a problem with, you can always make it better and longer. So let's just, I recommend you go to, where should they go, Shacha? Season two, episode eight on, the, on generousmarriage.com. Scroll down, click on download bonus and have a great sex life. And I really hope that you guys enjoy this one especially because Irene is brilliant and she has some insights that can just make 
whatever it is that I hinted, way better for both of you. By the way, next week on the Generous Marriage Podcast, if in this week we talked about sex, next week we're going to talk about gender differences and how sometimes we feel things in a different way. This is like the overarching uh, uh, topic that we are promoting in this season. It's the flag. And we have Ruth Maley waiting for us in next week on the Generous Marriage Podcast. So... See you next week. See you next week. Bye-bye, guys.